Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On today's episode of With the First Pick, Eric Galco, the Shrine Bowl Director of Football Operations and Player Personnel, joins the show to look back at the national title game, talk about some of the under-the-radar prospect names to know, and to look ahead to the Shrine Bowl since draft season is officially underway. But first, yep, we've been joking that Rick's going to take the old Chargers job, but you might have seen the news, and he actually has a temporary job with the Commanders to help them find the new coach. And here's what it means for us. Because initially I thought it wouldn't mean much, but old Rick's going to Rick. Uh, he's still a huge part of our future, and he'll be appearing on future episodes over the next few weeks, no doubt about that. You may see a little less of him, however, on upcoming mock draft shows and NFL discussions while he remains on Washington Search Committee. But you better believe he's not leaving us hanging, and we plan on having him back in full capacity the second the commanders make their hire. Uh, don't ask. We don't know who the commanders are going to hire. Devo, I heard, is a favorite for the job. As for the rest of the week, we'll have a mock draft show tomorrow. That's Thursday with Emory Hunt. But do not fear. Rick will be back in the mix next week. He will be on some episodes, so stay tuned for that, and we'll keep you updated as we go through the process. All right, let's get to it. All right, Eric, thanks for joining us, man. And, and just for people who are watching on YouTube, your, that is not your house. You're in an actual <laughs> hotel room at the at the Hula yes. Bowl doing a little little work, I see. Yes, yes, doing some scouting here. So the Hula Bowl does a good job. They're about two weeks before the Shrine Bowl. We may have some guys playing this week, playing the Shrine Bowl in two weeks, but they do a good job down here and, uh, and happen to be here in Orlando. Awesome. All right, well, let's let's continue the, the college football conversation because it feels like we're full-on in draft mode now, officially, even though the NFL has the playoffs to go. But yeah. the college football season is over. The national title game is complete. Michigan's defense, it felt like, did a lot of the heavy lifting. and you and I have talked in the fall, and you know that I'm a, I'm a big Michael Penix Jr. guy. Uh, yep. Great game against Texas. A little rougher outing against Michigan, against similar type defenses he'll see once he gets into the NFL. I'll tell you, I'll probably repeat this to you because I've said it to you before, but I've talked to teams that like him in the first round, and I talked to teams that said he's probably like a third-round guy. Maybe he gets pushed up. Does this performance affect his draft stock in your mind? And where are you on Michael Penix Jr. when we start ranking these quarterbacks as we get you know full on into this draft mode? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a game you want to watch and evaluate. Obviously, the national championship game. From my mind, I, I view it as like, I want to watch these guys play one more game, right? This is the last game of their season. And for both of these guys, if you told any of these players, hey, you 
couldn't work out the whole draft process, but you get to play in the national championship game, they do it. So I think a lot of these guys were just heavy on the line. We saw some Michael Penix turnovers that were uncharacteristic because the guy trying to win a national championship, not trying to impress NFL scouts. So um, I think it's important to always know like who these guys are and when they're successful, why they're successful and what has to happen. I think for Michael Penix, like, was he the most successful this game? No, but it was for reasons that you're not surprised to see as an evaluator. So for me, it's like, I didn't look at this game and be like, Oh, you know, if I wasn't Michael Penix guy, I'm worried. If I'm not, then I'm saying, here's, here's the example of why he's not a great player. But I think overall, Michael Penix showed that, Hey, he's got some limitations like every guy does like JJ McCarthy does on the other side that, when the defense is a good game plan, they're going to be able to beat, right? There's only a couple guys in the NFL that you can't really game plan for, right? And that's in college too. So I think you, you can game plan for Michael Penix and that Michigan game plan worked pretty well. But um, I, I, I echo what you're saying. There are teams across the league that are pretty wide bearing on Michael Penix. And when you kind of throw out the, the questions about being a little bit older as a player and his injury pass and kind of put those aside, I think it's really going to come down to does this guy fit what we want to do, right? Is this guy, do we need a quarterback who's going to be a pocket guy who can maneuver a little bit, but not going to be great outside the pocket, but we want to be accurate inside, like Mike McDaniel in the Dolphins offense, for example, then Michael Penix is your guy. If you want a more mobile out of the pocket guy, maybe Penix is it for you. And that's really the case with all quarterbacks. Yeah. So there are 18 teams that are out of the playoffs and they're now in full on looking ahead to the offseason free agency draft mode. And depending on how you count the teams up, they're probably 10 ish that are going to yeah. be seriously in the quarterback conversation. And would you say that probably three go in the top eight-ish? I mean, it could be one, two, three. We'll, we'll okay. see how it plays out. But I, I think didn't know we'll how have, you mentioned 10. I, I think there'll be probably 15, 16 teams that are curious. Yeah. I guess I'll put it that way on quarterback. <laughs> like, hey, you know what? Let's let's win a little hard on these guys as well, too. But um, we could talk more about them another time probably as well. But I think Jake Daniels is, is pretty special. Um, as a person, as a leader, as a developing still player, as a guy who won the Heisman Trophy and had one of the four or five best seasons in college football in the last decade. Um, I think you can make a case that he's in the top two quarterbacks. I'm not going to say who's one, right? But you can make that argument for most teams. So I, just the way this stuff goes, I'd imagine those guys go one, two, three. But I think for sure it's, you know, if those guys go one, two, three, it's really great news for whoever's four because there's a lot of teams that still need quarterbacks after that. Right. And currently the Falcons, excuse me, the Cardinals sit at four and they would, it sounds like they're yep. keeping Kyler and they would run over old ladies to get there to take Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. interesting you say that about Jaden Daniels is possibly mm-hmm. being in the QB2 conversation, whoever your QB1 ends up being, because I've mentioned that to Spielman. I've said, how oh. many times are we wrong about quarterbacks as we go through the process? And then three, four years from now, we're like, oh, Lamar Jackson shouldn't have been the 32nd overall pick, it turns out. Uh, Lamar yep. Jackson maybe is a little ahead of his time by a couple of years, but he's making up for lost time with going to be a two-time MVP guy in a, in a second here. And the easy, I don't, you can call it lazy if you want, comp for Jaden feels like Lamar, but he's not quite as thick as Lamar. And we did a draft show last night with Matt Ryan, who now works at CBS. And I, it sounds like you you might be on board with this. He called Jaden Daniels the, the most intriguing quarterback in this draft class because of how dangerous he is and the progress he's made since he arrived at LSU. The biggest thing for me is always, can this guy still get better? Is he still growing? Yeah. And and I think we didn't – I think of those three quarterbacks, Caleb, Drake, and Jaden, Jaden showed the most growth this year. And why that's so important to me, at least, I think to most NFL teams, is Caleb, Drake, and Jaden Daniels, none of those three guys are winning seven games in the NFL tomorrow. Now, after a good draft process and, and working with a QB coach and getting ready in a whole offseason, could they get there? Of course. That's why they seem one of the top five picks. But – 
those guys still have to make progress. And there are many, and that's why a lot of I think first round quarterbacks fail is those guys don't make progress in that rookie camp and they don't really impress their teammates as a leader. And they don't kind of earn that confidence in themselves and trust in their teammates to grow into a starter level role. And then you're behind the eight ball as a rookie. And then, you know, off and go and you're, you're kind of struggling your whole career. I think other guys have had that the last couple of years too. And I think, you know, Caleb and Drake have special traits, different guys, special traits, but they haven't shown as much growth as Jaden Daniels. And I've got a chance to talk with a lot of these quarterbacks, including Caleb, including Drake, including Jaden. And I think NFL teams will get a chance to meet these guys in the draft process a bit more. And they're going to ask those questions. Hey, you're good. Can you get better? And I think that's why Jaden is so intriguing for a lot of teams because he's shown it that he can make huge strides in one year and he still wants to get so much better. Oh, let's talk about another super athletic quarterback with a big arm who's not quite developmentally where Jaden is, but just won the national title and JJ McCarthy. And yeah. when I watch JJ McCarthy, I'm always left wanting more. And that's not his fault. That's just the offense they run at Michigan. The what they as in more attempts, <laughs> more attempts, right? And it felt like yeah. it felt like yeah. it point like early on in the national title game, they were just running all over Washington with Donovan Edwards and, and Blake Horm, right? And then it felt like. Um, Jim Harbaugh was like, you know what? Let's get, let's get JJ some run, so we can say we're helping him as much as we possibly can. And it just didn't work out. Not necessarily JJ's fault. And they went back to the run and they kept dominating again. I would love for JJ to come back selfishly, so I could see more from him. Uh, where are you on, on JJ McCarthy developmentally in terms of how he stacks up? Because it's unfair to say he's a bust or he's not going to work out because we have no idea based on the the little evidence we've seen. Yeah, I think he's a great example of this this idea that I live in in terms of questions, right? Players have questions and teams have questions about players. And questions are not a bad thing because questions can be answered, right? These aren't concerns. Uh, injury pass is a concern. Character is a concern. But, hey, can J.J. McCarthy play in a 30-plus pass attempts offense and be successful? We haven't seen any evidence that he can't do that, right? And that's a question he has to answer for NFL teams. I think what's important for J.J. is – if you kind of watch his film and kind of forget about what's going on in the game and just watch it all the way through, you realize that he's a hyper-efficient, balanced quarterback in all sorts of environments. From the pocket, you know, shotgun, three-step shotgun, one-step, drop back from the, you know, from the center, five-step, seven-step, comfortable, roll out left, roll right. Like all those things you're doing, if you just watch all the seven-step drops or all the rollouts, he just looks so calm and under control. And it gives you confidence watching him to say, yeah, I think that guy can do it at the NFL level too. And that's what's really important too. I, I actually looked up some stats here too, and he's he's known as a sufficient quarterback and doesn't hurt you as a quarterback and a game manager. He's had only nine turnover-worthy plays in the second half of games his whole college career. That means nine times he maybe put it up for grabs a little bit, and only four of those were interceptions in two years. So this is a guy that, hey, he's he's gotten maybe limited opportunities in the second half, and you can't make a lot of mistakes with limited opportunities, and he hasn't. That's why the teams I think will be so intrigued by J.J. McCarthy is you're going to see the arm. You're going to meet the guy. You're going to see the ball placement and workouts and, and all-star games maybe. Who knows, right? But I think the fact that you're going to say, hey, you know what? He didn't make any major mistakes in college, and we know he has the talent. And I think if a lot of people say if you put J.J. McCarthy at University of Texas or Washington, he'll be better than those quarterbacks that just played in the national championship playoff, right? So that's why the NFL teams have some confidence on J.J. despite – you know, ending his college career on a, what, 10 for 18 for a hundred of the yard passing game. I think teams right. say, hey, you know what, different environment. You can't blame him for having the best offensive line and the best running game in college football. Right, and one of the best defenses. And yeah, one of the other one of things. Coaches. Think, yeah, yeah, 
who's yeah, who maybe you know me speculating brings JJ along for the ride wherever wherever he ends up uh, professionally. We'll we'll find out yeah how that unfolds. One of the other things about JJ that became sort of a storyline in the last few weeks during the national title games plural was how mentally he is so laser focused and we see him taking the shoes off and sitting down at the goalpost and meditating before the game and throughout the game where he seems not to be rattled at all on the sidelines as the moment gets big. And I would imagine, you know, I've talked about how important it is to have confidence as a quarterback. I would imagine that's something that gets people's attention who have to be in the business of picking these guys. You want someone who's mentally tough and not going to cave under the pressure, even if you haven't had the opportunity to see it as much as perhaps you've seen it with Caleb or Drake or Jaden or whomever. Yeah, I, I think for JJ, it's clear that he's had to deal with his confidence, right? Again, you always want guys to see growth, and it's clear that JJ's already maybe felt a lack of confidence at some point in his high school career or even youth career, whenever it was, and he's already addressed that, right? He knows how to make himself be in a spot that's going to be impressive for his team and be a leader and be self-confident entirely. And I think that's why, again, another reason why I think Coach Harbaugh is so confident and so bullish on on what he's doing in the NFL level and as a great college quarterback is that he was on phase. You see it on film, you see it on the sideline, but obviously he has a process behind that too. So again, I, I'm not a JJ McCarthy myself, but I, what I've heard from people at Michigan and around him, even since high school at IMG, like he's going to be a guy that NFL teams are going to say, I really, I want this guy, but if I don't get him, I hope I don't play against him for the next decade. That's why I think NFL is going to lead the draft process saying about JJ McCarthy. Yeah. And, Rick basically echoes your sentiments when we talk about JJ McCarthy because it, it's clear where where I am in terms of not knowing enough about him, but uh, just on the field. But there's so much other yeah. stuff that goes into it. All right, I'll let you decide if there's a, another player that sort of stuck out from the national title game on either side of the ball that you want to hit on in terms of helping themselves as we get into you know the April conversations about the draft. Um, I don't know if Donovan Edwards of Michigan is officially going to come out for the draft, but obviously that guy just <laughs> plays big in big games and knows how to crack off big explosive plays and definitely benefited from a great Michigan offensive line all season long. Um, he's a guy that jumped out in the game again, just being, hey, at this point, you know, one's a one's an anomaly, two's a trend, three's a trend, right? I'm starting to see this guy show up in big games quite a bit too. Um, I think going back even to the, the college ball playoff game before this when Washington played Texas and just how – impactful the two edge rushes for Washington, Braylon Trice and, and Zion, uh, Tupelo Fatui were, and both those guys are, I think Braylon Trice is probably properly rated, as they say, as a guy that's a really dynamic NFL impact starting pass rusher, but I think Zion is a lot appreciated as well too. But the story of that game was obviously the offensive line from Michigan, the run game, and then on, de- on defense, Jalen Harrell, Braden McGregor, Chris Jenkins, and that defensive front seven. I think the old line team line from Michigan is exactly how Coach Harbaugh wanted to build this team. And, it's unconventional these days to have a team built O-line, D-line, and, and not a lot of passing game around it. Even those Georgia and Alabama teams the last couple of years have always had a big passing element. But it's clear that the Michigan team wanted to build on O-line, D-line, and they had the best O-line and maybe the best defensive front seven in all of football this year. So a couple of names there, Jalen Harrell, Braden McGregor, Chris Jenkins, all all great players in the Michigan offensive line. I learned all five of their names if you can because all they're playing football in the NFL. You mentioned Braylon Trice, who had a big game against Texas. Um, yep. Wasn't as impactful for uh, not necessarily his fault against Michigan. And you mentioned Zion, who I think towards Achilles, maybe a season and a half, two seasons ago, and that maybe derailed his name being known. But I actually was just scrolling through to see what stupidity I put out there after uh, last year's draft. <laughs> like in May, they make me do a way too early mock draft. I had Zion's name in there. Because I remember yeah. him in 2020, 2019, he was, he was actually a guy that continued to flash and the, the injuries sort of set him back. But um, it feels like he's a guy that we're not talking enough about and, and you know, one of these 
I'm not going to say he's Puka Nakua or Kobe Turner, but one of these guys that gets drafted and people are like, oh, yeah, he was good. Yeah, turns out he was good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Eric, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of these under-the-radar prospects. We should probably know their names because they'll end up being talked about a lot more than we're doing currently. So uh, we'll talk about that right after this. All right. So I mentioned Kobe Turner and um, Puka Nakul before the break. Basically, the Rams draft class did a pretty good job of identifying uh, guys that other teams didn't have value quite as highly. Both those guys ended up winning defensive and offensive rookie of the year, which is sort of incredible. Guys like Ivan Pace, who went undrafted and started for Minnesota. Um, your guy, Aiden O'Connell, started the last half of the season for the Raiders. Um, are there any guys that stick out to you? And this isn't early in the process. Early in the process for fans of NFL teams who are now refocusing their attention. Not early in the process for you, certainly. Any players that we're not talking enough about right now, but in a month or two months, we're going to be talking about a lot more? A lot. I can go on for days. I think people are going to catch <laughs> up to a lot of great players uh, in this process. Um, a couple names there, right? Uh, Aiden O'Connell, you mentioned. I think a guy that we, I've been bullish on for a long time. Obviously, I'm, I'm partial. He played in the Shrine Bowl, and he's a guy I got a chance to know the last two years. And I think maybe the franchise quarterback in Las Vegas. But Cam Ward of Washington State, um, oh, yeah. a guy who played the last college game against this Washington team. And maybe outside of, you know, maybe even including J.J. McCarthy and Quinn Ewers, played maybe one of the best games. If you watch the film, actually, what watch what he did against that, against Washington among any quarterbacks this year. So um, he jumps out quite a bit and go rise quite a bit in the process. People get a chance to know him a little bit. Um, but a couple of slot receivers, right? Not necessarily built like Cooper Cup or Puka Nakua, but Isaiah Williams of Illinois led the Big Ten in receiving this year. Um, goes by Zay, reminds me a little bit of Zay Flowers, not to make Ooh. the Zay comparison, but a guy you'll get excited about. Um, Malik Washington of Virginia, another slot receiver, one of the leading receivers in the country, had 140 catches this year, felt like 200 catches this year, but he's as twitchy, quick, explosive, getting downfield as well too. So I think both those guys are going to be that second, third, fourth round receiver that you'll be like offensive rookie of the year or best receiver in the draft because those guys can be productive in the NFL as well too. Um, a couple early round guys that jump out to me too that will probably go in the first, second round, but people are probably a little bit underappreciating. Number one, Byron Murphy of Texas. I mean, that guy oh is, gosh. he might be Aaron Donald. Um, he, he is Rick. Rick does not like little guys. Rick loves Byron Murphy, a little guy, 298. Yeah, I, I got a chance to, to be at Texas twice this, this year, once in the preseason, one during the year. And, you know, you, you don't want to use Aaron Donald's comparison ever, but when you say a guy is the most impressive since Aaron Donald, like it's just, it's pretty rare. Um, and that's what I ask you, can I ask you a question. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Do you think he's, yeah. do you like him more than Kalaja Kansi last year's first round pick for the Bucks? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. No hesitation. Yeah. No, I, I don't, I don't think guys like Byron Murphy get out of the top. You know, I, I haven't done my mock draft yet if I do one right, but I don't think he gets out of the top 10, 15 picks. I mean, that's how impressive oh, Byron Murphy it. is. And then uh, also in the game and, and that the national championship game, obviously pretty darn well too. Mike yep. Sanders still of Michigan. He's a guy that we've been bullish on for a long time. And he's a guy that's not going to be a, Hey, I got to be a first round pick kind of player. But when you get to those playoff teams late in round one or the teams that are in the second round, they're like, we need an impact guy. I mean, this feels like a Detroit lions pick, right? Like forget the board. We want our guy. Like that's what I think Mikey Sanders will be for some team. And again, I don't think guys like Cam who can make plays, play the nickel, play outside a little bit, but really just be a galvanizing player for your defense. I think everyone probably in the media and even NFL teams right now are thinking, oh, we'd love to scoop him up late second, early third round. And like, he's not going to be there. He's too impactful for his team. I love both those names as players. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned them. I've had Byron Murphy going in my 
last two mock drafts over the last month, and I thought I was on to something, but I didn't have, certainly didn't have him going yep. top 15. Earlier. Yeah, he has been <laughs> – and it's funny because, you know, Tavondra Sweat was the talking point because he's so big and athletic and nimble, but I yeah. always felt that Byron was probably the better player in terms of projecting going forward. And I love Mikey Sanders still too. I like – I thought maybe mid to late second, but it sounds like you're more bullish than than even that. The size was a concern for me, but everything else yeah. I absolutely love. Like, I mean, yep. he feels like he, he's not built like Brian Branch, but that sort of tenacity with which he plays and like he will run over people, even though he's probably 15, 20 pounds lighter. It, it feels like a, a different player, but it feels like he's going to have the same impact as Tyron Matthew did for his whole NFL That's career, a great, right? that's a better. One of those guys where it's like, I don't know why this guy makes plays, but he's ended the season with like six picks, four forced fumbles, 15 batted passes, four sacks, right? And he's just like, and we're a Super Bowl team. And I think that's what I think. I think Mikey Samersell just embodies in the college level and then the NFL level, just like a guy that if you have and your defense has any sort of talent, it's going to be really hard to lose games, especially big ones. I agree. Uh, we're on the same page with that. And you talked about Malik Washington, the UVA wide receiver. I have not yeah. watched him yet, but the first thing yeah. that came to mind when you were talking about him, Another guy that we sort of slept on last year because he didn't run a great 40 time and, and the lack of quarterback play at UVA, uh, Dontavious Wicks. Dontavian Wicks. Yeah. Turns out he's not bad. And yeah. um, I, this has sort of been my pedestal that I get up on and my soapbox, if you will, maybe a better term. And it's nothing groundbreaking, but I, I just sort of regurgitate it now. Tell me what you think about this or sort of expand it. How important is, especially for the quarterbacks, but even for, Guys like Dontavian Wicks and Malik Washington as, as he figures out his NFL future, landing in the right place and not only having the quarterback in place, but you have to have a play caller who is doing things to help the team and not to actively hurt the team, which we occasionally see in the NFL. You know, there are some players coming out of college that need reps as backups. And there are some guys that need reps with the ones to kind of figure stuff out, right? Two different types of learners. Like some guys are going to watch the ones and be like, I'll be there one day. And some guys are, hey, I just need to be out there and make some mistakes. I think Wicks is that first kind of guy, right? He was in Green Bay and they were like, we don't got anybody else. <laughs> so you guys yeah. better, you young guys better figure it out pretty quickly because we need one, two or three of you guys to play by like week eight. And that's what happened. I think that's what Don Wicks really was in college. And I think at Virginia – quarterback turnover and just wasn't maybe the best fit for him, but he always had talent. And, you know, I know people in green Bay who told me pre-draft, like that's our guy. Like they identified him early on in the process saying, we believe in him. We think we can steal him in the fourth, fifth round. They got him, I think in the fifth or sixth round um, and be a guy for us. And, and credit to the green Bay Packers. They hit on their draft with he and Jaden Reed, different guys, but I think similar mentalities of, Hey, they're adults, they're athletic, they're talented. Just get them out there and see if it works. And I think Malik Washington's going to be about that as well. I got a chance to talk to Malik quite a bit and like, He's going to handle NFL game plan pretty quickly and efficient route runner can work downfield, can work in the slot can work outside at Z. But again, he's a guy that might be a little bit of pop Douglas a year ago um, who ended up being a nice. fifth, sixth round pick, but was the Patriots best receiver by week 12, week 13. Like you got to think Malik Washington could be a mix between pop Douglas and like Hunter Renfro and be a contributor early on in the NFL, despite not being a top two round pick. That's pretty high praise because uh, Demario Douglas, yeah. as you point out, was the best, the twitchiest receiver on that roster, without a doubt, had a concussion yeah. uh, at some point. I know he had an early fumble in the season, and, and Belichick didn't play him for a while, which made little sense to me, but I uh, was yeah. not consulted about why Demario was, was not playing. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how that goes there. Um, all right. You don't have to name names, but I, I how many yeah. quarterbacks do you think go in the first round? Four. 
Four. Okay, that sounds about right. I was going to give you the over yeah. under four and a half because I think five feels you're almost searching and perhaps maybe a team is maybe desperate, but it feels like in recent years teams have been less desperate to take quarterbacks than what we saw maybe five or six, seven years ago. Um, the draft class two years ago didn't help when you had one quarterback only go in round one. And I'd be curious how many go in the second because I think we're, we've seen now recently, I think it's just the way it works, right? You're either kind of a first-round quarterback or a yeah. – third, fourth round quarterback. And I think people assume like, oh, okay, well, I'll have three in the first or four in the first and then three in the second. That, that's just not how it works. And I think Will Levis obviously kind of a unique anomaly because the Titans couldn't believe he was there, traded up early in the second to go get him. So I would say the answer is four in the top 50, 60, 70 picks. And then we could see maybe a couple go in the third round. But I think I think it's the three we've talked about earlier and then JJ, if, if he does come out, which I, I think he will. And then I think that the other guys have a chance to kind of rise up there, whether it's Michael Penix or Cam Ward or Bo Nix or a couple of guys like that could rise up to that, you know, kind of early day two or even maybe first round contention. But I think for the most part, we'll see four and then maybe a gap. Um, you mentioned Will Levis. Let me just ask you yeah. a quick question that's off. I'm going off, off script here. Which quarterback surprised you the most among the rookies? CJ Stroud is probably the easy answer, but is there one after CJ or maybe you, you, you weren't surprised by CJ at all that, that sort of got your attention. Aiden O'Connell had a, did a lot with a little under some trying circumstances for sure in Las Vegas, but anyone that good or bad, I, let me start here. Did Bryce Young's yeah. performance surprise you? No, I, I don't, I don't think he was set up for success. And that's right. what okay. people have to kind of keep in mind and just drive home. That, like he just wasn't set up for success. There were so many people and I take a lot of pride in, in, in our court, my quarterback evaluations. I think I've had a decent track record the last couple of years, but he, and Brian, even though I trust Don myself, Talking about Bryce, people who didn't work with Bryce, but you got a chance to know him and talk to him. They're like, he he's going to be okay. So obviously it's situation so dependent for quarterbacks. We'll see how Bryce does next year, but I mean, they need probably what two linemen, three receivers, a tight end, right? a lot of guys there to help him out. That's it. And then you're good. Um, no, I, I thought Will Levis surprised and, and not because I'm, I'm shocked it was successful, but coming in the situation that he came in right on a team that was teetering coming in for injury, I believe for Tannehill um, and that's a hard spot for any quarterback and playing as well as he did, especially vertically, right? Usually you're a quarterback coming in on a week prep. You're trying to just a little bit of play action stuff and then some short area stuff, but he was being aggressive right away and it worked. And I think for Will, you know, being a guy who was maybe thinking he was a top five, top 10 pick going second round, we talked about confidence earlier, that can really affect your confidence and then not playing all year that can affect your confidence too. And then being forced to win there, if he had a couple interceptions in that game, I'm not sure where Will Levis' season goes, but instead he had a great first game and really built on that too. I think even though it's a coaching change, and obviously the GM put a big role in drafting Will as well, but I think whoever that next coach is is going to be kind of asked, hey, we're pretty sure Will Levis is our guy. I want you to build with him the next two, three years. And I think he's earned that Will. I agree with you because I was – I often say that sometimes you have to squint to see the good plays from players you're trying to evaluate as first rounders, especially quarterbacks. And yeah. that wasn't the case with CJ last year. We just had questions about his athleticism, and he's proven that over again. But Will Levis had a tough go in part because of injuries, in part because Kentucky's offensive line stunk and they didn't have very many playmakers. But I he exceeded expectations, not to the level of CJ, but probably uh, easy second in terms of trying to figure out how things. I'm happy for him too. I, I my buddy Pete Prisco, who, who you got a chance to meet at the combine and can be a huge pain in the ass is a huge Will Levis supporter. And it, I, I made a vow this draft process, Eric, not to let Pete make me sour on these kids. Cause it's not these kids fault that Pete won't shut up about him, but Will Levis yes. 
Uh, by the way, uh, producer Debo notes that the past six draft classes, only four second round quarterbacks, Levis, yep. Kyle Trask, Jalen Hurts, Drew Locke. We haven't had two second round quarterbacks since 2014. And that was uh, Derek Carr and Jimmy G. So you're spot on about, about how that trend is going. Um, is wide receiver the deepest position in this draft class? I think so. Um, I think especially deep in terms of top two round guys. Yeah, I think we're in a good spot. I, I'm a little bit numb to it. We've had so many good receiver classes in a row now. <laughs> really right? Is. It's like another deep one, right? I think it just goes to show where a lot of kids who were born in the early 2000s wanted to play football, wanted to be receivers and make plays in seven on seven. You know, a lot of stuff is cyclical like that. But I think receiver, I think offensive line is probably the one talking to NFL teams even down here um, this week in person. Like offensive line is a spot where – I think teams are probably most excited that it's deep because we've had a couple lackluster all line class last year. Wasn't a very deep offensive line class, but this year, you know, we're going to have five, six, seven, eight offensive line and maybe six offensive tackles going the first round, but we'll have a lot of guys on round two, round three, round four that are going to go. And I think we will probably see the most offensive linemen drafted in, I don't know how long in this class. I'd probably be confident in that just because, you know, unlike quarterbacks where, Hey, if you got a guy, you don't draft one. If you like the guy, Everyone needs offensive linemen. We saw it in the playoffs, right? So I think we'll see probably a record high offensive line glass this year in terms of overall draft picks and probably some of the highest second, third, fourth round overall offensive line drafts too. That's a good point. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot again. Uh, once again, going off yeah. script. Uh, the Jets pick in the top 10. If three offensive linemen are off the board, the top three tackles, whoever your top three tackles are, and only Marvin Harrison Jr. is off the board, are you taking an offensive lineman for Aaron Rodgers or are you taking a wide receiver to help Garrett Wilson? I think if Malik Neighbors is there, that's hard to pass Ooh. on, right? Okay. I think there's a tier of guys that are non-quarterbacks, right? If it's Marvin, Olu, and Neighbors, and, and maybe Joe Alt, if you feel that way about him, that's kind of that, like, next tier. So if, I think if Neighbors is there, you just got to take him or trade right. out because he's just too good. But if he's gone, offensive tackle. And I think there's plenty of guys. I think teams – you might see a team in the top ten – maybe say, hey, it's Olu and then a big group of guys, they might trade down and still take an off the tackle later because they may say, hey, we're cool with any one of these four or five guys. So it's that kind of an off the tackle class that you'll see a lot of those guys. What was it, a couple of years ago when it was 9, 10, 11, 12, all offensive tackles? Um, yeah. We'll probably see that again this year, maybe even more so. So you think uh, there's a gap between Olu Fashinu, Penn State left tackle, and OT2? I do. I do. And I, I think there's a lot of guys that could be OT2. I think there's probably three or four guys that, you know, if you put the top six, seven traits of offensive tackles, I think Olu probably wins four of those. Yeah. Um, and it's probably top two or three in all of them. But but there is guys like Pat Paul or Joe Walt who do some things better than Olu. Not to say teams will take those guys over Olu. I think that'd be very, very surprising. But yeah. I think, you, you know, teams might look – we could look back in three years and say, hey, Olu was the safest. But this off the tackle was the best. Right. And that's not a crazy thought to me. That's how talented this group is, is that Olu is the guy I take and, and sleep easy at night. But put it this way, I'd be surprised if Olu is the best off the tackle from this draft class. Not because I think he's not good. It's because one of these guys is going to hit and be a megastar, I think. Yeah. And Olu's only 21, I believe. I think he's still yeah. just 21. Yeah. Uh, you'll be surprised to learn that uh, our colleague Brady Quinn is uh, thinks Joe Alt's OT1. Just on the record for that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Didn't see that coming. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the Shrine Bowl, which is, uh, yeah. The game is actually February 1st, which I can't believe is 20 days from now. Um, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> so explain just for my own 
personal understanding. So you're at the Hula Bowl, and what's yeah. the process like? Like, when's the roster set? Because it feels like these rosters are forever changing, and I guess they change up through the practice week, and, and maybe you don't yeah. know. But um, who are the guys you're excited to have? And and I can't imagine that this is a it's a very fluid process. It feels like. Yeah. Well, I would say first off, this is my third year. And in my first year, I would say, Ryan, let's talk in February. <laughs> right. But I think that. Yeah, I was surprised. That'd be nice. Yeah. 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 Three years of doing this, you got to figure it out. But um, but no, our roster changes because, you know, for me, you know, my my mission is always to be as player focused as possible. When a player says, hey, I don't tell him 100 percent. I'm like, OK, stay for interviews and, and, and don't practice. Or, hey, a guy tells me tomorrow and says, you know what? My Achilles has bothered me. I don't want to risk it. I'd say, I agree, get healthy, I'm still here for you, right? So it's a lot of that of like players trying to be, figure out when they're gonna be healthy, if it's worth doing, coming out of the Shrine Bowl for their process as well too. So our roster changes, but I would say by next week, um, as kind of the juniors, we had a one deadline of juniors declare for the draft earlier this week, we'll have another deadline next week. Once that deadline passes, because we can have juniors and, and also guys are you know training at their facilities and getting ready for the draft in, in a big, big way, we'll have a pretty finalized roster that, second week, third week of January that will be good to go on the game too. But as you mentioned, guys get hurt, guys get banged up, guys can't practice. We have a, a roster that's ever changing in, in the week too. And, and as for this year, um, you know, at receiver, I don't think we have Isaiah Flowers, but I did mention Isaiah Williams and Malik Washington, both guys will be at the Shrine Bowl this year. I'm excited for those two guys to to rise to be top 100 draft picks. I mentioned Cam Ward earlier from Washington State. I think he's he's a guy I've kind of vouched NFL teams. I said, hey, you trust me two years ago on Brock Purdy, or at least you should have. You trust me last yeah. year on Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Nate O'Connell. Trust me on Cam Ward. He's that guy this year in the NFL draft process. Um, and then a couple other guys who go early. Leonard Taylor, D-tackle from Miami. Yeah. Edric Cooper, linebacker from Texas A&M. Um, probably two of our highest drafted overall players. Curtis Jacobs of Penn State, too, will probably go in the second round as well, too. So a good mix of, of D-line, linebackers, and receivers, as well as a top quarterback this year for the Triangle that I'm excited about. Yeah, Penn State has uh, – we talk about Penn State for a lot of reasons, but – feels like under the radar, maybe less so now because of Micah Parsons, but they have uh, a run of incredibly athletic off-ball linebackers yeah. that we don't hear about necessarily until they get to the league. Curtis Jacobs <laughs> is one of those guys. I don't think he's the next Michael uh, Michael Richards. Uh, Michael Richards. <laughs> um, Michael Parsons. Yeah. I, I could be wrong, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, no, that's Hopefully awesome. And by the way, uh, Jordan Traps is going to be there talking to teams, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, We have a process that – you know, when a guy gets hurt in season, we still honor that invite and fly him in, get a chance to benefit. You know, I always tell players and, and NFL clubs as well, hey, I believe the most important part of the, the all-star game process, you know, the fun part for all of us, you know, people in the media and NFL teams and watching practice, it's those interviews that are crucial because NFL GMs and coaches have to get to know you as a player if they're going to draft you. And Jordan's such a, an infectious and a confident and impressive person that I, for all of our guys, not just Jordan, we'll have a couple of guys that got banged up during the year that won't be able to practice, but we still honor their invites. Get a chance to meet with every NFL team, GM, coach, scout down there, and that'll be Jordan all week long too. And he'll be he'll be a busy guy down there in Frisco for sure. Because I think every NFL team has texted me that they're excited to talk to him in person. Yeah, and it, it stinks that he got hurt uh, in part because it affected obviously how things worked out for Florida State, but also because our, our colleague Danny yeah. Cannell has not shut up about how Florida State <laughs> has been absolutely <laughs> screwed. Out I, of I saw he he congratulated Michigan on winning the Invitational, right? That's what it was. That was great. <laughs> he he. I say this all the time. Danny in real life, uh, and producer Debo can confirm, in, compared to Danny on Twitter, is the, the, the two diametrically opposed people. Uh, by Love the it. way, you're not talking about the Brock Purdy thing enough. I, I always forget that until you mention it in passing, because yeah. we know about DTR and, and O'Connell, but Brock Purdy's a, uh, 
a grand slam. And I think we talked about this back in August when we were you know, on the podcast last. But just to refresh my memory and for people who didn't hear it the first time around, why did Brock Purdy struggle in quotation marks his final year at Iowa State? And again, this feels like a, a situation where, and not to take anything in anything away from what Brock Purdy's accomplished, but being in the exact right system he should have been in in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I I, I probably should have brought Brock Purdy more when it comes to the Shrine Bowl, but I'm just thankful to be a part of Brock's journey in the NFL. Um, he's doesn't owe me anything, doesn't owe the Shrine Bowl anything. We were grateful to have him part of our journey too. And I think he showed me a lot about why some guys make in the NFL and some guys don't, to be candid. And I think what Brock Purdy, you know, his great junior year and then his senior season that maybe wasn't as impactful, I think it's, in hindsight, it's less about, oh, he's gotten worse, right? Guys don't get worse almost ever, right, as players. And I think what that should have showed people is, hey, he had a couple three-interception games and he got through it, or he still won those games. And he's already had his struggle as a player in college. And I think a lot of guys don't face struggles, in co- especially quarterbacks, don't face a whole lot of struggles as pocket passers and win-loss records and overcoming adversity and playing higher competition. A lot of guys don't have to go through their top quarterbacks, right? We saw Caleb go through it this year, and it felt jarring to watch. Yeah, That's kind Bryce of Brock never went, went through, through it. it. Right, and I think and Brock's already had that. And I, I think the fact that he – people probably underappreciate how strong his arm, arm is. I think they still do. Right, his arm's plenty strong enough. The placement's there as well, too. But, again, I go back to the idea of confidence. I mean, Brock has seen it all at Iowa State. Like, nothing was going to face him in the NFL. I remember talking to people in San Fran. They they had a good sense of what they had by, like, day four of rookie minicamp. I mean, he'd been uh-huh. building for, like, six days, and they were like, we kind of got something here. Now, they didn't think he was going to be an MVP favorite, right? But they were like, he's, he's going to be around for, like, a decade. Like, they told me that within four or five days just because he got into camp, and it was like, uh, oh, this isn't. This isn't anything shocking or different. I just can I can hang with these guys. I think not a lot of guys have that coming in too. So Brock is a good example of, you know, sometimes we say all oh, the character of a person matters so much too. Like he's a guy that if he was wired any differently, he probably wouldn't make the NFL, but he's wired the exact right way. And I tend to learn a lot from Brock. And I hope a lot of NFL teams have learned a lot from Brock because what Brock had, Aiden O'Connell had, Cam Ward has this year. I don't want people people to kind of make those comparisons. Austin Reed, also the Shrine Bowl, very, very similar yeah. career path as Brock Purdy did. Um, I think those guys all remind me a lot of Brock and hopefully have the same sense as Brock there, at least to some degree. That's an important point to continue to make, uh, mostly for me to remember. And, and that's why I asked the question to Rick about Jaden Daniels. Like, why would it be so weird for him to be QB2 or QB1 in four or five years? And uh, I, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school when I say this. When you and I talked last, you said, as long as we're making things up, we might as well go with the guy with the most confidence. And <laughs> exactly. Brock Purdy's that guy. Because at the end of the day, Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant. Everyone missed on Brock Purdy seven times, except at the end there when San yep. Francisco landed him. Sort of the, the Tom Brady story in, in the sense that he lasts until the sixth round, in Tom Brady's case. But it, it's you just don't know. Like you have no idea. And then you get caught up in not just the media, but NFL teams, you, you know this better than I do. They get caught up in groupthink as well, and they sell themselves on someone. I mean, we have colleagues who make fun of Rick Spielman for drafting Kellen Mond. I like Kellen Mond coming out. Rick obviously did. It didn't work out for Kellen Mond, but you don't know. Like, you don't know, and, and it's so incredibly difficult. But Brock, uh, Brock Purdy's a great story, and I'm glad he's had the success he's had. And I'm glad, uh, whether you like to admit or not, you had some role in, in him getting to where he's gotten to. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. Eric? I want to thank you for joining us. I know you're incredibly busy making time for us uh, as you do the Hula Bowl in preparation for the Shrine Bowl on February 1st in Frisco, Texas this year, which will be exciting. Yes, sir. And um, 
yeah, I appreciate you, man. Thank you guys. Appreciate having me on. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Absolutely.